0: Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host Keith Patrick every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports. From opening weekend all the way through Omaha, we'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. I'm your host, Keith Patrick, here on an exciting week to be a Red Raider sports fan. Texas Tech men's basketball headed to Minnesota today to appear in their first Final Four ever in school history. Exciting, exciting stuff right there. Had an article drop on Wednesday on com. My takes on why I believe Chris Beard will continue to stay at Texas Tech and build the things here that it sure looks like he's going to be capable of building. I line it all out there in the article, tell you what I think about it, and give you my reasons behind it. So please check that out at com. Got a special guest coming on today, Brian Haney, the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, football, basketball, and baseball. Jayhawks have obviously wrapped up their basketball season, and Brian Haney has turned his attention now to baseball. Really appreciate him coming on. I'll have that for you here in just a minute. But we're going to look into what Texas Tech did in Albuquerque versus... The New Mexico Lobos in a Tuesday-Wednesday midweek matchup. And then we'll go to O'Brien and we'll look ahead to the Kansas Jayhawks, who are coming this weekend to Dan Lawfield at Rip Griffin Park for a three-game series. The Red Raiders' first conference series at home. Texas Tech the only team in the Big 12 at this point who has not played a home series in conference play. So as far as the Lobos go, Texas Tech headed out to Albuquerque, they played a Tuesday and a Wednesday game against the New Mexico Lobos. As you know, these New Mexico teams always have hot offenses. They have guys that can really swing the bat. The air up there is thinner. You have some wind. It makes it a pretty hitter-friendly park as well. Always a little bit of a smirk when you get to listen to the radio broadcast. Jamie Lent and Mike Gustafson have to call from the top of the stands in that ballpark. There's no visitor's radio booth there. There's some pretty rowdy fans there that like to sit just right... Inside their ear, basically screaming at the top of their lungs. So it's always a little bit of an adventure. They're out there exposed to the elements, to the wind, to the rain. Uh, Kind of feel for them in that one. It's not a fun way to call a baseball game. It's difficult to stay focused, but they did two games in a row and did a fine job of it. So the Red Raiders struck first against New Mexico on Tuesday. They scored one in the first. New Mexico answered with one in the second. Looked like it might be kind of a slow-going, tight game. And then Texas Tech ripped off for two in the third, unanswered, and then nine runs in the fourth. And the Lobos were never able to bring it back from then. They scored two in the fourth and two in the fifth. Red Raiders tacked on three more in the sixth. The Lobos only able to get one more the rest of the way. So Texas Tech, with 14 hits and an error to New Mexico's 11 hits and no errors, ended up winning 15-6. to six in the game. Now, your starting pitcher on the day was Bryce Bonnet, something that I told you I expected to see in the last episode. And Bryce Bonin came out with five innings pitched. He allowed seven hits, five runs, all of them earned, three walks, two strikeouts, didn't hit anyone. He did get the win and improved his record on the season to three-0. John McMillan came in with some really great relief work, two innings pitched, only three hits, no runs, no walks. He struck out two, also did not hit anyone. Really, really a nice outing for John McMillan. Matt Gardner was very complimentary on Wednesday of John McMillan's outing, said it looked like old school John, just got back to what he does, pounding the strike zone, putting pitches where he wants them, just really staying within himself pitch to pitch and doing what he needs to do. As we always say, we know John McMillan's arm is such a weapon for the Red Raiders if he can just get out there and consistently bring it. Hopefully this is a good turnaround for him and and an indicator that he'll be able to do that throughout the rest of the season. Word was that McMillan was bumping 97 on the day out there in his two innings. Ryan Sublette came in and closed it out two innings of his own. He allowed one hit, one run, one walk, one strikeout. He did throw a wild pitch and hit a batsman, but overall not a bad outing for Sublette. Matt Gardner also said that he had liked what he had seen from Sublette. They wanted to get him some more opportunities, but his last several outings, they'd been happy with him. Of course, don't forget, he did close it out against Stetson, came out and was bumping 98 in that game, just really, really was throwing well, both from a velo standpoint and his command was fantastic. Offensively, the Red Raiders jumped all over the Lobos, and that wasn't totally unexpected, especially in a two-game midweek. You're kind of playing Johnny Bullpen out there, especially from their standpoint. They did end up using six pitchers on the day. On Tuesday, their starter went three innings pitched. He did give up five runs and walked a couple as well. Really, the story of the day was home runs. Red Raiders hit four dingers on Tuesday. Cole Stilwell hit two all by himself. He ended up going two for five on the day. Two runs scored, three RBI. Stillwell really looked nice. And you watch that game with two home runs, and you wonder, maybe Cole Stillwell just locked himself up an opportunity to hold down that DH spot. I mean, you've been waiting for that bat to emerge. The coaches have really liked Stillwell's approach, like the progression he was making, and now you may see that he's going to grab that spot at DH and maybe not let go of it. So that would be great if that was something he was ready to do to grab a hold of that spot because you have some question marks still in left field and at shortstop. You really would love for someone to lock down from a batting standpoint and you can kind of figure out these other things and move forward. Additionally, in the day, on top of Stillwell, you also saw Cameron Warren hit a home run. Cam went one for three on the day with two RBI, two walks, three runs scored. And Drew Baker also hit a home run of his own. Baker went two for four on the day, one RBI, and two runs scored as well. So all in all, a nice day for the Red Raiders offensively. You had no stolen bases as they weren't particularly necessary to get out there and be super aggressive on the base paths. Gabe Holt went two for four on the day, two RBI, a walk, and two runs scored. Nice to see Gabe kind of get back in form there, definitely get some good swings of the bat and putting some barrels on balls. You know that's just what Gabe needs, kind of just what the doctor orders for him. Dylan Noisy went two for six, two RBI, and a run scored as well. Nice day for Noisy, and he continues to impress on this team Brian Klein one for four an RBI a walk and two runs scored just all around you can kind of run up and down the team everybody had a pretty good day Josh Young still continuing to struggle a little bit he went one for six no RBI run or walks not the greatest day for Josh Young uh, he did get left once out there as well but I still have faith that he'll be putting things together but you know that he's got to feel frustrated and I feel for him because I know he's putting in the work so the Red Raiders really dominate that one 15-6. You're feeling pretty good. That pushes them 19-7 on the season, and New Mexico to 500 at 14-14. and So then you come into the Wednesday game against New Mexico. Coach Tadlock doesn't like two-game midweeks. He tries to get rid of them with longer four-game weekend series to eliminate the need for those two-game midweeks. He also, as you know, The later series against New Mexico later this month, he tried to move one of those games up earlier this season, but weather forced it to move back to its original position on the schedule. So Red Raiders come in, they score too early against New Mexico. They answer with one of their own in the first, another in the second. So you go into the third, tied 2-2. Then the Red Raiders reel off six in the third, and you're feeling like, here we go again, not going to be a bad day for Texas Tech. They exit the third inning up 8-2 on the Lobos. Lobos then start reeling off crooked numbers in every inning. They put on two in the fourth, three in the fifth. They get two more in the seventh and three in the eighth. All of a sudden, the Red Raiders are trailing and all they could muster after the third inning was one run in the eighth. They end up falling to New Mexico 9-12. Red Raiders with 15 hits to New Mexico's 13s. Texas Tech booting it around again a little bit. Two errors on the day. New Mexico with only one. Not a great day for Texas Tech. The game stretches out to almost four hours. Hunter Dobbin's. Got the start for Texas Tech, but it's Taylor Floyd that ultimately earns the loss, dropping him to 2-2 two and two on the season. Dobbins went three innings pitched. He allowed one hit, had three runs, all of them earned. Two walks, two strikeouts. Did throw a wild pitch in there as well. Not a terrible day for Dobbins, but you certainly would like to see him as a starting pitcher lock him him up a little bit better than that. Although, as we said, the ball does carry there well, and pitchers have to understand in that park that runs are just going to get scored, but you have to limit the damage, work your way out of trouble when you can. Caleb Freeman came in for an inning in relief, and it was just not a good outing for Caleb. He allowed six hits, four runs, three of them earned. Just really, really damaging there as far as he's concerned. Dame Haveman turned in two and a third, had a hit, two runs allowed, one of them earned. He did get a strikeout. As I mentioned, Taylor Floyd came in for an inning, allowed three hits, one run, it was earned, and two strikeouts. And Clayton Beater came in to close it out, two-thirds of an inning pitched, but Beater struggled as well. He had two walks and allowed a hit that ended up loading the bases. Ultimately, two hits, two runs scored, two walks, two strikeouts, and a wild pitch that also scored runs. So just not a good day at the mound for Texas Tech. A little bit frustrating because you had several guys who've had really solid outings. Hunter Dobbins has had good outings. Dane Haveman's leading the team with 15 appearances. He's had some really solid outings. Taylor Floyd as well, getting lots of strikeouts. And Clayton Beater has really become your save specialist. Very much has been a closer for the Red Raiders. I believe he has five saves on the season, but just not a sharp day for him, was not able to work out of the trouble that he was getting himself into. At the plate, the Red Raiders didn't have nearly as good of a day as they did on Tuesday. Gabe Holt went one for five, had an RBI and a walk. He did have three stolen bases on the day. Nice to see Gabe out there doing what he does best. Dylan Noisy also tacked on a steal as well. Noisy went two for four. He had one RBI, a walk, and two runs scored. Josh Young, with a really strong day, went three for five with three runs and a ribby as well. Nice to see Josh out there doing what he does best. He did get a single and a double. I think Gus might have jinxed him bringing that up. Didn't see see Josh get the, the triple. It was... Josh Young against New Mexico last year that he did hit for the cycle, but we haven't seen that kind of production from him yet this season. Other Red Raiders were strong at the plate. Cameron Warren went three for five with three ribbies and a run scored. Cameron Warren continues to lead the Big 12 in RBI, I believe. Drew Baker also three for five on the day with a run scored. Overall, not bad performances. The errors were a little bit frustrating. One of them was charged to Dane Haveman, the other to Drew Baker when he was at shortstop. You continue to see movement between Cody Masters and Max Marshok moving in and out of left field, trying things out. In this game on Wednesday, Drew Baker did play the entire game at shortstop, but he and Eastern Morrell traded out on Tuesday. So still some questions to answer for the Red Raiders as they split a two-game midweek series with the University of New Mexico Lobos that pushes their season record to 19-8. and New Mexico improves to 15-14 and on the season. That's a frustrating day for both for the fans and the players, but at the end of the day, it's a road loss. In the midweek, it doesn't really hurt the Red Raiders much. What they really need to focus on are teams like Kansas coming to town in a sweep opportunity for the Red Raiders and to really do something positive against a conference opponent to try to start clawing their way back into the top of that Conference race. They currently sit fourth in the Big 12 Conference in this really early part of the conference season, but can't let opportunities like Kansas pass you by. They failed to get the sweep against Kansas State, did win the series two games to one, but getting all three from the Kansas Jayhawks would really, really help them and probably be necessary because I would imagine more Big 12 teams than not will be sweeping Kansas this season. They are really struggling so far. So speaking of the Kansas Jayhawks, I want to welcome in Brian Haney, good friend of mine, friend of the podcast, friend of Texas Tech Athletics in general. You will all remember Brian Haney. He spent four years in Lubbock, Texas, working for Double Team 97.3, hosting a show as well as for Texas Tech as the voice of men's basketball and Texas Tech baseball. He called both the 2014 and the 2016 trips to Omaha, as well as some pretty fun moments in Texas Tech basketball. Texas might want to start thinking about fouling here. If Tech comes through with a Tober three, they will. Jordan Tolbert puts his three goggles on as he drains the trifecta from the corner. Crockett with a touch pass, Kravitz wants a three and buries a three from the top of the key. The Red Raiders are red hot here tonight, 11-6 Texas Tech well Brian thanks so much for coming on my friend appreciate you being here and spending some time with us
1: great to be on with you Keith always good to talk with you my friend and talk with the great fans of Texas Tech excited to be down there this weekend and I don't know it's it's kind of a funny feeling to get to uh, be in the hub city during the greatest basketball night in Texas Tech history perhaps I'll be excited to have that Saturday game baseball out of the way and, and go to one of my favorite sports bars down there and take in the game with Tech fans, be cheering right along with them for uh, Chris Beard's bunch to, to get a big win over the Spartans.
0: That's cool, man. Well, at, of course, everybody remembers your voice as the voice of the Red Raiders, basketball and baseball, during some pretty big moments in those programs. So we miss you around here. Glad that you're back home. I know Mama called for you, and you're back home there and, yeah. and enjoying it. I, absolutely. But And you're doing everything, right? All major sports and MC and yeah. stuff and yeah. being the guy, right?
1: Thank you for saying that, Keith. I appreciate it. I miss you guys too. And yeah, up here, it's, it's a year round deal. I do football, basketball, baseball. I do about a hundred events a year on the MC side of things. And then all the uh, coaches shows as well. So it's definitely busy. And, you know, first couple of years probably had more fortune and highlights than, than year three has been with, you know, still a 26 win basketball team, which is nothing to shake a stick at, but got to call a final in my second year. And, uh, yeah, obviously, as, as, I've still kept on watching Texas Tech success. They're my second favorite team in the league. And so it's been neat to, to cheer on Tim Tadlock's bunch on another College World Series run, his third, two of which I got to be a part of. And now get to watch you guys go to the Final Four after a great elite eight run a year ago. So uh, it's, it's neat to see both these athletic departments doing ever since I left, but this has certainly been a great year to be a Red Raider, that's for sure.
0: Oh, man, no doubt. It's been – man, spring sports at Texas Tech right now is, is a fun place to be. Track and field is in the mix every year. Softball on a big rise women's basketball taking big steps forward obviously men's basketball in this big run baseball continuing to do the things they've been doing and amazing recruits in here guys kind of putting it together but it's been a lot of fun to be a part of i'm glad i'm glad you mentioned basketball because i had kind of a particular basketball question for you maybe a little perspective that texas tech folks don't have so obviously basketball college basketball started at kansas i mean the rules to the game reside at the University of Kansas. I mean, it is, without a doubt, I'm one of the guys that thinks there's six true blue bloods. Kansas is most definitely one of them. Always in the mix. Great tradition. Who's
1: the sixth? got to ask you, who's the sixth? Because I always look at it as five. I always think UCLA's got the most titles. Kentucky narrowly has the most wins over Kansas. It fluctuates every year. It's around 17 or 18 more wins. Carolina obviously had Jordan and, and, uh, you know, really – had their peak under Dean Smith and now Roy Williams. Duke's been the best program since the mid-'80s. And then you have Kansas, who has second-most wins all time, five titles, where the rules reside here. May Smith is the only losing coach in the history of Kansas basketball. <laughs> right. They've only had eight coaches all time, and he's the only one with a losing record. And while ultimately he didn't create it actually here, he took it here uh, from Springfield, Massachusetts, and he's buried here in Lawrence, Kansas. And so that obviously adds to the lore. You added Will Chamberlain and a few others. You can see why it's a pretty special tradition. But who's the team I didn't mention? Because those are where I, I draw the line after five blue bloods. Who's your six?
0: I, I give Indiana the nod. I give Indiana the nod. Last undefeated season. Yeah. Obviously the run under night. Even though it's been a little bit of time for them, it's obviously been some time for UCLA too, right. you know, as far as since the the glory days. So I know they don't have, you know, the 10 titles to, to put under their belt but I feel like there's a fairly clear line and you know more than me so certainly but I think there's a clear line after them when you kind of get into the the next tier the purple bloods how you ever you want to talk about them
1: no I like that and and I think that obviously when coach Knight was there they were absolutely on that short list Mike Davis wasn't able to sustain it beyond that 0-2 final four for them but it's been a pretty dormant season where some coaches have gone to die quite frankly um, to where I, I almost kind of bump into that, that next grouping that would have an Arizona-type program and, and some other Michigan State, yep. you know, that kind of thing. You know, at least a gets state to the Champions Classic uh, every year with Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, and the Spartans, in part because you can't put two ACC teams in there, so Carolina doesn't have a seat at the table. But until Izzo wins another title, and I sure hope it's not a Texas' expense over the next 72 hours, uh, he's got all the final fours in the world, but but I think they need to string more titles together to hop up into the blue blood mix. myself.
0: Yeah, I got you. I'd agree with that. And I, uh, as far as Michigan State, Tom Izzo, there's one person in particular, a Tech fan, that would be very upset to see that happen. He put fifteen hundred dollars down on Tech for a natty in November, and uh, that guy's looking at a three hundred thousand dollar payout <laughs> if Texas Tech can go be victorious on Monday.
1: It's amazing, unbelievable. I mean, the the, the stones on that guy to. to support his team and belly up to the bar, put his money where his mouth is at. That's impressive. And uh, I think we all knew in October they had a chance to have a really good year when you got Jared Culver coming back. But we didn't know how good transfers like Owens and Mooney would be. We didn't know about the progress David Moretti would be making in his second season. Sure. And honestly, if you just looked at it from the outside looking in, they lost Keenan Evans. Justin Gray, Zach Smith, and yes, a first round draft pick in Zayuta. Nobody bounces back and goes one round or maybe even two rounds farther after losing all of that at an elite eight level team. I mean, that's just that's unheard of. And yet I think that speaks to the brilliance of Chris Beard and why he's quickly become one of the most popular and widely respected coaches that's, you know, climbed the ladder and honestly, you know, is held in the highest of esteem for anybody that's not already at you know, one of those five major programs you just talked about. I mean, and, and he's going to put tech on a path to quickly enter into elite level conversation if he stays there long term. So, pretty exciting to watch what he's done in a year where most of us would not have, have had the boldness that that gentleman did. But but all of us expected good things. And I think so long as Beards Patrol on the sidelines, you're going to always be a contender. But uh, to be a national title contender in the wake of losing all of that, that takes a pretty special staff. And a great group of individual kids that just really blossomed and clicked at the perfect time.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you look at that, and you know, you're talking about Beard, and he absolutely deserves the credit, but kind of the differentiators between some of those programs that have maintained success their entire existence, like a Kansas versus a UCLA, UCLA was built around John Wooden you know and and the the success they built there in that program in the 60s and 70s and maybe not the sustaining culture that you've seen and I think that's what Chris Beard we're seeing the front end of fantastic coaching, brilliance, grind, work ethic but he's building a culture that could be sustained and I have an article that came out on Wednesday on Staking the Plains about why I think he'll be staying and I certainly think that that he's a guy that could stick around. I think Kirby Hokut's going to do things the right way and that this could be a place that he could really build something and you could build that that culture of success. And then, however many years down the road, you're going and looking for an elite coach, something that the Kansases and North Carolinas are able to do rather than looking for the next up-and-comer.
1: Right, exactly. And uh, Clearly, the, the culture's being established. They already had, in my opinion, second-best basketball facility in the conference, Talking about United Supermarkets Arena and what they've done to spruce up the locker rooms, the players' offices, the practice gym, all that. I mean, they're building something that now compares favorably to a lot of the teams that they're up in recruiting battles against. And, you know, they're joining the big boys. So it's right. really exciting as somebody that still cares a lot about tech to see that type of headway not only being made on the sidelines by Texas administration and the fan base because, you know, it takes everybody being on board, and, and those 15,000 that are showing up every single night have a big hand in this too.
0: Right, absolutely, and yeah, you mentioned that practice facility, the Dustin Womble Center across the street there from the arena. It's it's currently under construction. That facility started as a $23 million project, and as Chris Beard got input and, of course, took the team to an Elite Eight last year, it's now a $30 million project. So, stepping even more forward and donors getting even more excited about the the program, you love the excitement there. But what I was really trying to get to with Kansas and and something that Texas Tech fans don't exactly understand, and I'd love your perspective, you know, Texas Tech, you've had your years of success in football, obviously seeing some great things in basketball and have had some things in the past as well, women's basketball and some good years Throughout, of course, baseball the last five years was some great success, but Texas Tech isn't the home of a program like a Kansas basketball. I mean, we don't have to fool ourselves. That's been sustained success for so long. But from the Kansas side, how, where you haven't had sustained football or baseball success, but basketball has been so strong, how do you approach that? And how does the university approach that as far as giving that respect and due to those other programs and working to grow their footprint and their level of prestige?
1: Well, I think we have an athletic director now, and Jeff Long was the college football playoff committee chair right before Kirby Hokut, and those two know each other very well, who understands that you know football is the lifeblood of any athletic department. It is the biggest money, revenue generator of anything you could do. And so he's taken an all-hands-on-deck approach to not only hiring the big-name head coach in Les Miles, but trying to equip him with not only the quality assistance, but the quantity of man and woman power to compete with the Joneses of the Big 12 Conference. And a great example that Jeff Long gave before he hired Les Miles, he did some research on how many additional full-time staffers other Big 12 programs had that Kansas did not have that factor into a typical game week of preparation. And he, he said the week of the Iowa State game, there were 13 more full-time football employees working for the Cyclones, a program that you know, we would consider on a, a comparable level. Obviously, their success in the last 10 years certainly trumps Kansas' success. But historically, you know, folks in the South Plains might not realize Kansas had Gale Sayers, John Riggin, John Hayle and Orange Bowls twice over, one of which they won with Todd Reesing a 12-1 and season 10 years ago. So there is some history here, certainly. Uh, but they've not had the resources, either facilities-wise or in terms of the coaching, Manpower to keep up with some of the other teams in the Big 12 Conference that are on a similar plane historically, but now in the present day have zoomed past Kansas uh, because of everything that's being invested into football. And so and we've seen from an athletic department standpoint a tightening of the belt in other aspects of the departments. So they can funnel that money into pumping up and propping up football and giving Les Miles the quantity and the quality of what he needs around him to build a winner at Kansas. And so uh, you know, baseball is always going to be tough when you're in a cold weather climate and, and there's always going to be inherent challenges that come with that. Uh, and obviously, baseball at, at all but about five schools in the country is not a revenue sport, not even a Texas tech, tech. Joe Parker taught me that back in the day, that no matter how good we get, it's still always going to be football that fuels the bottom line. Right. But baseball's still important here, don't get me wrong. I, I just think that Kansas has done a good job over the years of realizing that its bread is buttered with basketball. and So You know, our head coach, whoever it is over the course of time, will always be one of the top five most compensated coaches, and and they'll always be looking for facilities upgrades and improvements, whether it's the players' dorm or the players' lounge or whatever at Allen Fieldhouse, this historic gym that we have that I feel is, is, you know, the most special venue in all of college sports. But beyond that, we now have an athletic visionary that, that is putting his money where his mouth is at in trying to restore football and, and once you get the two rolling together, even if you're just the 6-6 six and six caliber football team, that can really support basketball on recruiting weekends in the fall. That can support all the other athletic department programs, of which we have 18 total sports in Kansas, when you're generating more revenue, not just by butts in the seats, but merchandising and apparel and the TV contracts and all that stuff, that being a, a better Big 12 partner as opposed to being the weak link out of the 10 Big 12 football schools could help kansas and its big 12 brethren achieve, and so we're excited to be on that path now and obviously it's one thing to sit here and talk about it in the month of april it's another to show it in the months of september october november but you know that's what we're hopeful to do and uh, and we feel like the right pieces are being put in place right now to get kansas back to a level of relevance in, uh, in the college football landscape
0: that's great perspective brian i really like that and i mean I'll boil your words down a little bit and then it kind of all of a sudden is like a oh duh of course it comes down to great leadership to visionary leadership finding a vision realistic vision as far as what you need to be successful and then diving in and selling people on it and moving it forward and like you said great words putting money where your mouth is going out and getting the people that can help make it happen. I think that's that's great. And I'm a big fan of I don't mean I'm not gonna be out there chanting Big Twelve in the stands like the SEC does, but you know, (laughs) a rising tide raises all ships, you know, and so it's good for the Big Twelve when all of the teams are on an upward trajectory and doing good things together. Payouts are better across the board for everyone that way and exposure is better for the strength of the league. Absolutely.
1: No doubt. We we don't want to be that one team that's not competing for ball eligibility in week twelve like We've seen some recent years when seven, eight, and nine Big 12 teams have been balled, but Kansas hasn't. And, and so hopefully Les Miles can get us back to that point. Folks forget it, it was just 10 years ago, or now 11, by the time next season starts, that Mark Mangino was winning 20 games in a span of two seasons. Yep. Uh, so it's, it's not that long ago. It feels like a lifetime ago, believe me. But uh, it can be done at KU with the right leadership, and we feel we've got that now.
0: That's that's Todd Reesing years, right? And the orange yeah. birth. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, those were good. I remember the all the all white uniforms. Those were good years for Kansas. That yeah, was, keep that the was lead, fun stuff to, to watch. No
1: doubt. We had some good guys.
0: Absolutely. Well let's dive in and talk about baseball a little bit. I know you're kind of transitioning from basketball into baseball. You've done a series and now jumping in, coming back to Lubbock and calling this series against the Red Raiders. This is Tech's first home conference series. They're the only team in the conference that hasn't played a conference series at home yet. So excited to get to see them a little bit because they're on a a pretty big road stretch here. They're going to have 10 of 13 on the road. They're doing a two-game stand in Albuquerque against New Mexico. Uh, Actually playing that second game today should be finishing up pretty quickly. And then next week, heading on to Duke or to uh, New Mexico State and Midland, and then on the road again. So a chance to see him this weekend. But tell us a little bit about this Kansas squad, kind of how their season is looking so far.
1: Well, it was good to see him get a win on Sunday to avoid starting out zero and six in league play, and, and the bats came alive on Sunday, which has been the big story I think for Kansas this year. Some underwhelming offensive production, and some of that is, you know, it's, it's a cold weather team. It's Finally, had a chance to play at home. You talk about Tech's home versus road schedule. KU's first home game was Saturday, right? (laughs) Game number twenty-five on the year, right? Okay, you play fifty-six in college baseball, and half of their games before they even got home were spent out on the road, and so um, you know that's been tough. And I'm not saying that's the direct reason why the bats have struggled, but you know they've not had a chance to settle into the comfy confines of Oakland Ballpark to get into a rhythm at home. I remember my years calling Texas Tech baseball gosh, there were so many seasons where we had north of thirty home wins and, and, you know, maybe four or five home losses and KU's not gonna play that many home games and honestly, you know, they've, they've struggled wherever they've been to have consistency outside of Jack's Roshans, his catcher at D H that now has eleven home runs on the year after hitting one in the Tuesday night game versus Wichita State. Uh, his eleventh and he's really the bright spot. He leads just about every offensive category you can lead and After him, you've got a lot of upperclassmen that I have great confidence in and and I'm a big fan of, but for whatever reason, almost halfway through the season, they just aren't clicking like we thought they would be in their junior and senior senior campaigns. And I'm talking about Rudy Carey in in the outfield, James Costantino at second base, Brett Vosick, our left fielder. These are all seniors and juniors. Uh, Benjamin Sims, junior shortstop. You got one guy hitting north of 300 right now. And when we were playing Baylor, Baylor had 90 points better in team batting average, 321 to 231. And, and that's just a huge, huge gap to where you're pitching. And Kansas has some good pitching. You'll see Ryan Zephyr John, a potential first round draft pick and first team all league caliber guy, go this weekend in Lubbock. You'll see Ryan Sear, who started his career at Mississippi State and has some big time stuff. you see him pitch. These guys are more than capable, but their margin for error is so small when you're not getting the timely hits and you're not getting many hits, period, as a club that's that's hovering around 230 batting average. So that's the one area that needs to improve for Kansas to be more competitive. And honestly, I think it can because it's not like they're a 230 hitting team with a whole bunch of rookies that have never seen Big 12 pitching. For whatever reason, you've just got four or five veterans that just haven't put it together yet. And, and it's kind of leaving the pitching at times a little bit out to try because they're just not getting the run support they deserve and need to uh, to be a winning team. So I have high hopes for this team. I don't think the schedule makers did them any favors by having Oklahoma, Baylor, and Texas Tech right out of the gates. It's a pretty tough murderer's row. Right. It could make you look at 1-8 and eight or 2-7 and seven as your first nine-game league record if you're not careful. And so uh, – I think the Kansas, you know, anything they can get this weekend in Lubbock, whether it's one, two, or three, would feel like, you know, a major, major accomplishment because they were 0-5, the open league play, and staring down the barrel at 0-6 until those bats awoken. And it showed us that it is possible. Uh, to come alive offensively to this team, but unfortunately they've been fewer and farther in between offensive games like that one on Sunday.
0: Right. Well and yeah, that was a that was definitely coming alive, as you said, on Sunday against Baylor, winning twelve to seven. And really so far, Kansas and Texas Tech only share one opponent. They've both played Wichita State, Kansas in two one game sets, losing two to three in a thirteen inning game and then also losing one to nine yesterday actually. But I wanted to go back and talk about Jax Groshans, who just, as you said, leading in every category, 367 batting average, leading in runs by almost a factor of two. He's got 25, 36 hits on the season. He's slugging a 745. He's the walks leader with 20. I mean, really a strong stat line for him. He is a, a Texas guy, so you like to see that, a Magnolia, Texas native out there, a junior, but. I think Red Raider fans can actually identify a little bit this season even, you know, when you're comparing to other Red Raider teams, in bats not quite doing what you want them to do, not hitting with runners in scoring position, not able to to get things working. A lot of the Red Raiders losses this season have been really close, even one-run games, especially in, in conference play. So that's certainly something they can identify with and you talk about Zephyr John and Red Raiders should not in any way look at that and think pushovers by any mean. He's got a 220 ERA. He's a big pitcher. He's 6'5, 225. He's a righty. Just his whip is a 105. I mean, he's really putting some stuff out there, you know, in 41 innings pitched. And Ryan Sear as well is somebody that's seen a lot of time 41 and a third. He's two and three on the season, but some experienced players, as you said, Brian, that are out there trotting out for Kansas. And I don't think Texas Tech, certainly the fans, don't feel like there's ever that easy win, that easy sweep in the Big 12. And there's just not. Anybody can hop up in baseball and get you any time, as with many sports. And I think Kansas is always kind of poised and ready to jump up and get you. And you were talking about football earlier. I've always felt that way as well. Even in the down years, I'm always nervous about playing the Jayhawks because Texas Tech just seems to find ways to struggle against Kansas at times.
1: Yeah, you don't want to be that team that that loses uh, to the team that everybody else able to beat and, and you know we've seen that at least uh, on one occasion back in the terry allen era when kansas went down to level can run in football and this baseball team has been sneaky dangerous under rich price at times in his 17 seasons the dean of big 12 baseball coaches and i think when you've got quality starting pitching like the two guys you just listed off and the davis and sunday matchup clearly you know they can be competitive and, and can could be a threat and uh it's just a matter of supporting those those pitchers with a little bit of run support, and for Kansas, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what the forecast for this weekend, how about Farrah get some of the caliber pitching the Texas Tech can trot out there, but no doubt Jeff John is a guy that now is a junior, is posting great numbers. Uh, Rich Price feels he's Definitely a first or second round draft pick. The last month draft I saw, I had him go 41st overall. And he's got velocity in the the 96, 97 range. And the difference between him now and what you saw the last two years is he's more mature and he's able to pitch through trouble and not let a couple of guys getting on base just make him unravel mentally. Uh, Like at times things can snowball in the past. I I watched him pitch out of trouble in in all six innings on on Saturday in the doubleheader versus Baylor. Ultimately, surrenders just one run, and yet you know there were instances in which Bader could have scored in every single inning. But he kept his cool this time, and that I think was the next necessary step he had to take to go from being a pretty good pitcher to a great one. And I think he's he's on the cusp of being just that. So it's an exciting time. But obviously, you got to support your pitchers. He can hang goose eggs till he's blue in the face. But if there's nothing to, on the run column to your side, you're not going to go out a winner. And so that's where Kansas is going to have to scratch a few across on Friday and Saturday, and hopefully all three days of the weekend. But, you know, Sears and on are really going to give you a chance to win if they can get any kind of offense behind them.
0: Right. Well, and you talk about working your way out of trouble and not unraveling with runners on base, and it does look like, when I look at the fielding side of things for for the Jayhawks, that no one is really having a bad year from the, the fielding perspective. Nobody has over five errors, and that's only one player. I mean, I think that's a pretty common number, you know, middle infield or if it's a younger player, but, you know, not really booting the ball around terribly out there, so... That's something that a pitcher can stand in there and trust the guys behind them that they're going to back him up. Especially if you're worried about run support, at least you feel like if you do you do your job, you've got guys behind you that can that can help you out if you're getting balls on the ground.
1: Yeah, and, and you know what? It should be that way when you've got you know five position players that are everyday starters as juniors and seniors that have a lot of games and innings logged under their belts heading into this year. You should have. A solid defensive front. And there's, there's a few youngsters sprinkled in around them, but for the most part, you know, your, your battery is veteran, your your defense up the middle, shortstop and second base are both juniors, you know, two-year outfielders are upperclassmen, and, and I think that's indicative in how consistent they've been. So hopefully uh, all three things of the game, pitching, hitting, and defense will start to pitch for Kansas, uh, because we believe this is a season where, they can get to Bricktown and they can make some noise and, and and possibly play beyond that. But the starts they're off to has, has certainly left a little bit to be desired offensively, and we hope that changes in Lubbock. Although we understand it's going to be very difficult for that to be the case.
0: Well, I hope the Red Raiders do make it difficult, Brian. I, you know, it is a it's a fifteen and thirteen season overall for Kansas, so they have some ground to make up, and they still have time to do that. But final question for you, just. If there's one guy we're looking at here that could have the breakout, that could step up and really make noise and make life difficult at the plate for the Red Raiders, who who's that guy going to be?
1: Well, you know, the guy that's already broken out that you've chronicled well is, is obviously Jack Scruton. The guy that's underperformed but could be just as impactful for Kansas is their two hole hitter and second baseman James Casantino. Fosrick, Sims, all these guys have upside. But I think Costantino at times in his first two Big Twelve seasons, has. Been you know KU's real catalyst, and and at other times he's struggled with strikeouts like we saw four times on Tuesday night versus Wichita State, and actually six times versus the Shockers a week earlier, which was crazy to see. So there's so much more in him that we've not yet seen come to life here in, in 2019, and you know I'm real hopeful you know he's about to turn that corner because when he's on, he's a great line drive doubles type hitter that, that can really fuel some Jayhawk rallies and. That's that's just a spark they could use. And then maybe Carey, whether he's sitting leadoff or fifth, he's got great speed and the potential to be a really good table setter for Kansas, he too has been way below the level we expected, and so we're hopeful he'll get going as well. Awesome. Well, we'll watch for him, Brian.
0: We're going to be out there, and always a good day when you're in the ballpark, one way or another, however it goes. It's just nice to be outside and enjoying some baseball. But I know you're traveling, man. I know you're driving across the state for work, so I sure do appreciate you giving me some time and, and coming on and talking about baseball, man. I'm Looking forward to seeing you. I hope you have a safe travels and a good call here in Lubbock.
1: Hey, thanks, Keith. Always good to hear from you, buddy. I appreciate all the Tech fans that supported me in my four years down there. It's a second home for me. Well, I can't cheer for on Friday through Sunday on the baseball diamond. I will absolutely be wearing some Scarlet and Black come Saturday night. Let's go take down Spalding, all right?
0: Absolutely, man. You better send somebody ahead for you to get a table wherever you want to go. I think it's going to be a busy night in the LBK.
1: i was counting on you for that. <laughs>
0: hey, hey, I got your back, man, whatever you need. Oh, hey, appreciate Sounds you, too. Brian. Have a good one, man. You
1: too, buddy. Take care.
0: Well, there he is, Brian Haney, the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks. Just a great breakdown there of what these Jayhawks are bringing with them to Lubbock. Just really appreciate Brian. He's been a good friend over the years. Enjoyed getting to know him when he was in Lubbock and just so excited for a guy like him to be out just living his dream. If you don't know, you know, Brian came to Lubbock, Texas, had some great experiences here. He called... The both College World Series appearances in 14 and 16 for the Red Raiders. He was the voice of men's basketball as well. Had a show on Double T 97.3. Just a guy that really became a part of the Lubbock community and did a lot of things out here. He called a, a staff student softball game for me one time when I worked at Texas Tech and just a really great guy all around willing to do charity things and help folks out and always been a good friend to me. So I appreciate him coming on and looking forward to having him back in town a little bit. But Brian left Lubbock to go go back home. He went back to his alma mater and in his late 30s had the opportunity to go and live his dream and his dream job. So you certainly can't fault a guy for that. So excited that he was able to go do that at Kansas and just a guy that works really hard. And I appreciate him and appreciate what he brings to broadcasting and what he brings to the Big 12. He's just really a top notch guy and, and a professional all the way around. Well, make sure you get yourself out to the ballpark, Dan Lawfield, or Rip Griffin Park. If you're in Lubbock this weekend, watch the Kansas Jayhawks take on your Texas Tech Red Raiders. All three games will be on Texas Tech TV, and you can catch them on the Texas Tech Sports Network here in Lubbock. That's Double Team 97.3. You can get them on the Double Team 97.3 mobile app. The Friday game will be at 6.30 p.m. Saturday game will be at 2 o'clock. That will give you plenty of time to watch some baseball and then go watch the Red Raiders take on Michigan State in the Final Four. And then Sunday the game will be at 1 at Dan Law Field. Should be a fun weekend of baseball. I believe there's going to be some pretty nice weather here in Lubbock, America, so should be good times out there. Also go find you a place, get around some other Red Raiders and watch that men's basketball team in their first Final Four There's going to be watch parties all over Lubbock, Texas. I'm sure they're all over the place. Go check the Texas Tech Alumni Association in your area. Get in touch with them. If you're in Lubbock, you can go check out Lubbock in the Loop. They have a pretty good listing of a lot of different watch parties and places to go watch. I think I'm going to try to head to 4Golf with my wife. There's seating for over 700 there. should be fun to be around a big crowd of Red Raiders to celebrate what I feel like is going to be a great victory and heading to their first ever opportunity in a national championship in men's basketball. So fingers crossed, looking forward to it. Should be a lot of fun. I'll be back in your feed next Monday recapping this Kansas series and looking ahead to what's going on next week for the Red Raiders as they meet the New Mexico State Aggies in Midland for a one midweek game on Tuesday, April 9th, and then they'll travel to Morgantown to visit the West Virginia Mountaineers in a three-game series the following weekend. So until then, I'll look for you around the ballpark. Enjoy baseball, enjoy basketball, enjoy spring sports, and being a Red Raider. It's a fun time right now. Don't let it pass you by. We'll talk to you soon. Until then, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck of tech
1: Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man Or a gringo like me
0: Be the first one
1: to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth It's a dead man, or a gringo like me.